Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm the host, Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin, the first book in the Broken Earth series. So let's shake the magic of books. So to start off, obviously, I really, really enjoyed this book. It was amazing. It felt real. The writing style and her skill with writing this was just, it is beyond compare for most books. She takes three stories, two in a kind of normal tense that we're used to reading, and then one in a second tense type of story. Um, Just beautifully incredible, incredibly beautiful. It's just great. However, this book does talk about some heavy topics and makes a commentary on almost anything and everything you can imagine. Now, none of that felt like way over the top or really egregious. Maybe one or two things, but we'll talk about them a little bit later. And like I said, I enjoyed this book. It went really quick for me. I just kept wanting to and read and read and figure out what was going on and what was happening. So uh, one thing, sometimes the plot felt a little slow in some circumstances, but then we'd switch to another character and they would ramp it up or we'd switch back. So it never felt off, but some stories were a bit more high action than other parts, but that's not anything bad. This like I said, this is a heavy book, and never have I read a book that was so gruesome, and yet not, like, gruesome that you can't even imagine it, or every page I read, like, hurts my heart, makes me ache, and repulses me, just the things that some characters do, but yet keeps me wanting to more and more to find out what actually happens. That was pretty crazy. Okay, so, yeah, I know it's only been two minutes, but we're just gonna have to get into our spoiler episode, because there is so much to talk about in this book. And I think I'm going to go a little long, but we'll see what happens. So let's just talk about our our three main characters. We have the Maya, a young child, five to eight to ten-ish, I I forget the exact age, who is an orogeny. And she, that means that they can use magic and they can still quakes or cause quakes, kind of control the earth in kinetic motion. But when they do, they cause like an ice bubble and they have to drain the heat from things. Or if they can pull deep enough, they can pull the heat from the earth, like magma and such. So, cool. She's learned. She's got this ability. And she is being sold to the Fulcrum. Joining the Fulcrum. Our second character, we have Sienite, who is basically tasked to go on a mission and take care of some coral reefs to shake them loose and destroy them so that the harbor opens up again. And then we have Asun, who is searching for her child, Nasun, and her husband, Jija, who took Nasun away and killed Uke, her other child. Now, Esmun is the one in second character, and so it's full of, you feel this, you do this, you get lost in yourself. And as someone who's gone through the grief of losing um, children close to you or child close to you, that was so true to what it actually is and to how it feels. Like, you just feel hollow and like you're not there, and you're going through the motions, and you know you should do certain things. And you do them because that's kind of routine and safe, but like at any minute you just like shut down. And so like, oh, her depiction of her grief while searching for Nasun, you know, you pick a goal, you pick a goal, you go for it. That was so powerful to me. Just incredible. Um, obviously, Sienna and Nasun are also erogenies or rogas, which is the kind of slang term, the derogatory term for them. And so we, we go, the story switches through each person. Um, we get about a chapter, maybe two and a half, and then it switches, and then it switches in. Now, throughout this whole book, I kind of thought they were all happening at the same time. Turns out I was super wrong. They are 
not all happening at the same time, but at different time in history. Oh, a little context about the book in general. The world is kind of, it's our world in a post-apocalyptic kind of sense. They had the same words and technologies as us, and it made me think it was our world for sure, but I'm not 100% sure if it was just a world that's incredibly similar, or it is our world and just destroyed so much to the point that everything has changed. So every there, there's these things called seasons. Now, I'm sure you know what a season is. Spring, summer, fall, winter. But they have a fifth season, which is basically when winter lasts for six months or more, usually caused by either a volcano exploding or just a seismic event of such power that it disrupts the world. And they've gone through a lot of these seasons. I did not realize how many seasons they had been going through because when I read the description on the back of the book that, you know, there's a fifth season that happens every so often and it comes through and just like destroys everything. I kind of was expecting like, okay, so like there was the season of earthquakes and there was the season of like the winds or like a hurricane season that just destroyed everything. And it's not, it's all based around earth and, and tectonic plates and movement and stuff like that, which is cool. Totally fine. I really liked that. And I really liked the slang that came from her world that she kind of was like, yeah, people aren't going to keep saying engineer. They're just going to say engineer because they keep shortening things. That's that's what people do. Like a geomist. Oh, yeah, you're a geomist. You're a lorist. Oh, you, you know the lore. You know the secrets. Like, that was so cool. And the way that these seasons led to their caste system, you have strongbacks, you have leadership, you have geneers, like, and that's your use name. And then you have the castless or the calmless. Just real. I mean, so nice. The slang, I felt fit in perfectly and was never like, oh, where did they get that slang from? It was just fit in nice. So a season is the fifth season. It's the season of death, basically. The cons have the stone lore, which is rules written in stone. Do this, do that, you know, take care of each other, store food. And if you do those things, then chances are you'll make it through the season. And I was surprised at how many and that how many different trials there were during the seasons. There was the season of fungus where there was a huge fungus that killed everything and took a while for them to come back from. There was a fungus of teeth where I don't remember exactly what happened in that one, but there was a lot of different seasons. So it was very interesting. So first, let's go back to our main characters and let's follow Demaya, who has, you know, she's been living kind of in squalor. Obviously, she's poor, but her family basically rejects her as soon as they find out that she has these powers. And then a man from the fulcrum comes and takes her and, you know, buys her away and gives her a coat and it makes her feel like a person again. And then his name is Shafa, Guardian Shafa, who we hate, um, because you think he's such a good person. He's rescuing her. He's promising her a new life. And then he breaks her hand and says, you know, you don't listen to me. I will break your hand even more. Follow my instructions. You do what I say, or you're going to get hurt because you are evil, but you're a tool and we're going to make you a tool. And just the contempt that you feel as a reader for this, for Shafa, it's just unbelievable how realistic and how much pain she showed you in just a page to two pages and a half. It was incredible. So Demaya joins the fulcrum where she is a grit learning about her powers and kind of growing to fit this mold that they're trying to make out of her. And then we'll switch to Sienite. Um, she is a four ring orogeny, which is just kind of like a power level. And she's being sent on a mission to break up some co some coral in a harbor to free up some space. Now, she's sent with Alabaster, a ten ringer, but... 
that's not really why she's being sent with him. She's being sent with him to be bred so that she can have a child and that child will produce, will be an orogeny and a powerful one. And, you know, when I was first reading it, I did not see that coming. But then as soon as it happened, I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And this is gross and disgusting. And this fulcrum is a horrible place, horrible, horrible place. And I just, I couldn't imagine it. And the way she writes their relationship, it's so real. So like, oh, well, we got to do this. Let's do it. And if I had one thing I did not like really about the series is the the sex scenes. Like there were not really like sex scenes, but I, I think I would have preferred it a bit more if they had just faded to black a little earlier. Maybe it wouldn't have been as powerful, but like this first one, that was fine. But there are others in the book when Sienna and Alabaster are living pirates. And those ones just felt a little extra to me. And the gender things felt a little extra. Being like, oh, well, she's a girl, but she's actually a boy, but she's a girl. And it it felt fine in the story, and it was smooth, and it didn't jerk me out. But when I reviewed it later, I felt like she's already saying so much. Why not throw a little bit more in? But that part just felt a little bit over the top to me. I, I didn't care that they were you know, gay or lesbian or anything like that. I just felt like it was a bit much for this, for such a heavy book already. Now, the next person, Esun, is looking for Nasun. She is, you know, trying to follow where her husband took Nasun. More intent on getting Nasun back and then killing her husband, Jija, for killing her child. But she is on a mission. She's going forward. And then along the way, she meets a kid. It looks like a kid, Hoa, who we learn is a stone eater. What does that imply? I don't know, but he eats stone. Uh, obviously. He looks like he's kind of rocky, and he can turn things to rock, which he does once. That was pretty cool, pretty amazing. Um, you also meet Tonk Fee, who is a junior or a scientist, and studying with them and learn, walking with them and going their direction, and uh, so much. I think it was about halfway through the book, maybe more, probably more, probably like 60 to 70% of the way through the book, I finally figured out that all three characters were actually the same person at different parts of the book. And that just blew my mind because I was I was so confused. Like, Essun's living through a fifth season. You know, why isn't Sienite or Demaya living through a fifth season? They are, you know, doing completely different things and the stories are not matching up. So I was a little confused, but then it made sense. And I, I really knew for sure that Demaya and Sienite were the first, were the, were the same person when Demaya chooses Sienite as her name, the fulcrum. So that was really cool. And I have to say, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I knew that this was going to be a good, thick, heavy book when I read the paragraph. When we say the world has ended, it's usually a lie because the planet is just fine. But this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends for the last time. Wow, just how much emphasis she was able to put in that by repeating it three times. And of course, there's a little bit of uh, italics and such in the book, but just the power like, this is a book about the end of the world. Not just the end of people's world, but the end of the world. So I am really looking forward to the next two books to see what's going to happen there and where everything is going to be going. So oh, let's talk about another thing that really disturbed me and made me hate the fulcrum. And that would be coming across a node worker. Alabaster and Sienite are on their path and they come across 
a node that isn't working right, and they decide to go check it out. Well, Alabaster decides to go check it out, and Sienite follows because she has to. And they go see there, and they realize that everyone is dead, and they come to the spot where the node worker sits. And Sienite, in your in her head, has been thinking like, hey, I'm really glad I've never had to be a, a node worker. It sounds really boring just, you know, stopping minor loke shakes and things from happening in this area. And, you know, it's a really undesirable job. And then we, we meet a, a node worker. And basically, to make a node worker, you take a regular roga or a rogene, and you lobotomize them so they have no capable thought. And they just steal things on instinct. And then you hook them up to a machine that keeps them alive for as long as possible. And it's a small child that's doing this, of course. So just horrible to begin with, right? A horrible situation. And to make matters worse in this instance, they have decided, whoever was taking care of this node worker decided that, hey, we're not getting paid enough. Let's go get a, let's go let somebody come in and pay us so they can beat on this child. And, you know, we'll make some more money because they can hit a kid who can't fight back and get that power over them. And so, of course, they wanted to wake the kid up a little bit so that he could, the child could like feel it and, you know, show that fear, which was their undoing. Thankfully, they did that so that he could kill them all. But how disturbing. How disturbing Oof. you know and this whole time alabaster's like yeah this is the way it is i hate it you hate it but we kind of have to do it or we'll just die why because the guardians will kill us guardians being the watchers of the erogene who have a mystical ability to disrupt it through an implant of some kind excuse me i was so shocked at that i was for sure thinking that it was going to be similar to spoilers for the Wheel of Time, the similar to the Adam bracelets where the Erogenes who just have the natural talent are controlled by the ones that have to kind of work for it. So like they would have like a lesser talent or a side talent, but that was completely wrong because one of them in Damaya's life that we see goes crazy because she doesn't steal enough people's powers or stay close to her Erogene enough. So she goes crazy and tries to attack Damaya. And then Shafa kills her in front of her and basically threatens to kill Damaya if she doesn't pass her next test. She either passes her test or she f dies. That was just crazy. Crazy. Uh, let's talk about Sienite again for a second. They go to the city. They are pulling, they're looking at the coral, they're fighting with the government a little bit there, which was like, yeah, I can see why Alabaster's doing it. Like, he's powerful, he's tired of being treated like less than a person, and he wants to make them treat him normal, but like, oh man, just so intense. And then while Sienite's building that up, she accidentally blows up a volcano by pulling a monolith out of the ground. These monoliths being huge floating, uh, like, monoliths of stone that float around. Nobody pays attention to them. I mean, you know they're going to be important, but you don't know why or how. And then we learn that there's people in the monoliths, or perhaps a stone eater in the monolith. I don't know. You can pull power from the monoliths. Alabaster can do so many things that have been thought impossible with Orogene because he's so powerful. There was so much, so much. All right, now we're going to just kind of go fast and loose on a couple of these things. I've talked about a lot of it, but we're going to talk a little bit more. Um, Alabaster's price. Okay, 
I did not see that Alabaster was the prologue where he destroys Jimenez. I figured that out near the end, at the very end, basically, and then I went back and read it, knowing it was Alabaster, and his price, the turn he's turning to stone, I think that's the price, and what's the reward? I don't know. Alabaster asking Esun, have you ever heard of the moon? Are they going to try and pull the moon down to the planet and destroy it that way? Um, what? I don't know. Just crazy. Okay, here's my one thought I had. Hoa, he's been eating these rocks, and he's like, these rocks are me. I'm the rocks, or, you know, this is me. And he's like, oh, it's your food. He's like, no, it's this is me. I think that the stone eaters, they can take an erogeny and give them something. Whatever his, whatever Alabaster got, I don't know what reward he got, because he seemed powerful enough to start a fifth season on his own. But he got a power, he's turning to stone, and these rock eaters have, like, picked their Orogene, and they just kind of stay with them, right? They follow him. Hoa always is following Esun. Antimony always has been with Alabaster. And I think when Alabaster finally full turns to stone, then Antimony will take him and, and eat his stone and then become Alabaster in a way, right? That That's what I think. And yes, it did take me an unusually long period of time to figure out that Hoa, the boy traveling with Esun, is the one that crashes out of the monolith. Uh, I was just dumb and did not realize that way there was, they were the same person at the, at the when I read them. So, my bad. There are more questions that I have. You know, how do the Guardians actually disrupt people's powers? And with an implant, what was the thing that Demaya and Binoff found in the fulcrum? The room they found with the iron rod sticking up that caused the Guardian to go crazy. You know, what did... Antimony give Alabaster to create that power. And, okay, obviously, I know I said this is going to be fast and loose, but Alabaster's grief is also something that I could totally feel. You, you blaming the people for your child's death. Just still so good. So I am really looking forward to what's going to happen in the next book. Are they going to go after the moon? Is Esun going to listen to Alabaster? Are they going to not listen to each other? Are they going to go against? Uh, I don't know. My mind was blown while reading this. It was incredibly well written. The characters have real depth and real positions and feelings and emotions and plans. The world's very well thought out. You know, I, I have to just give it a really, really good uh, rating here. You know, definitely a five out of five for me. So that's going to wrap up my discussion of the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, please send them to libromancypod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter most of the time at libromancypod. And I've put up a calendar on the website at libromancy.podbean.com showing what books are coming up next. And please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And remember to shake the magic of books. <laughs> <laughs>